0: So if this was your only exposure to the concept of global warming, how seriously would you take it? Wait, do I think this is real or? No, it's just what you see in this movie. Like you just see this movie and it's talking about something called global warming and a new ice age starts. And like some people think this is going to happen. I would not take it seriously at all. Yeah. I would label them as conspiracy theorists and just crazy people. If, if I thought this was really what somebody thought. I just wonder what Roland Emmerich, like I wonder how helpful he thought he was being because I feel like it was a lot less helpful than he intended to be. He could have told himself that based on the fact that they wanted notes from NASA and NASA said no, this is too stupid. <laughs> the government has to start making long-term preparations now. Jack, all you have is a theory. Mr. Vice President If we don't act now, it's going to be too late. I'm afraid that time has come and gone, my friend. What can we do? Save as many as you can. Hi, I'm Rose. I'm Hannah. And this is More Is More, the Bad Movie Podcast. Where today we're talking about The Day After Tomorrow. Starring Jake Gyllenhaal... Amy Rossom, Dennis Quaid, Celia Ward. Celia Ward probably shouldn't even be in list. <laughs> she was barely in She was in wasted it. in the role. She was, she's so good. Mhm. Ian Holm. Yeah. Probably got more screen time than Celia Ward. <laughs> Bafflingly, because neither one of them should have been in the movie. Agreed. <laughs> and they're like, "You say that, but I've got a mortgage." Yeah. This is one of those classically terrible eco-disaster films. I feel like it's always the one like that gets brought up for this kind of thing. Oh, it's uh, so b- From our generation. Oh, yeah. It's so bad. Seriously, one of my only notes for the last 20 minutes of the movie was just, what am I watching with two <laughs> question marks? So we open on the 20th Century Fox logo, but there's an ominous storm brewing in the yeah. background. Only the best movies, I feel like, do this. Only the yeah. best movies have to introduce you to it in the title card for the production company oh yeah <laughs> there's no opening text or voiceover though so we're just gonna have to pick this up as we go along oh, i'm already lost i don't know, like we're um, geniuses or something although there was no there was no opening text or voiceover but the credits were weird yeah they were it was like somebody had done these credits in like the 1960s when when motion graphics were invented yeah So they're slanted the way that the Star Wars crawl is slanted. Right. And it made me feel like I was missing something, like I should be watching this in IMAX or with 3D glasses, and I wasn't. And I don't think it was released in three D. No, I don't think it was. I think they just did this, but it was weird as heck. It made more sense once they finally faded up the ocean because I think it was supposed to look like it was floating on the ocean. Oh gosh! But I didn't when it catch was over all. black, it just looked dumb. And by that, by the time the ocean faded up, you were just like, "Well, this is weird. Just a weird choice." <laughs> well, it also was just like a clear. Uh, no, now we're in casting director. No more actors. All right, you guys can have normal font. We're not gonna put the effort in. Right. Yeah. So we are told that we're on the Larson B. Ice Shelf in Antarctica. Tie-in with our last movie is Antarctica where Krampus lives, I assume? I don't know. They don't get into that. I thought he lived in hell. But same difference. Yeah. (laughs) Same thing. All the the traditional uh, lore about both places is very similar. (laughs) Yeah. I guess this is the American Ice Shelf because there's a huge flag that we see waving on there. Yeah, or, or are they just letting people know this is an American scientific expedition? Yeah, I really hope they're just required. Like, if they want any grant money, you better put this flag up at all times. Yes. Because the other scientific expeditions from other countries might try and horn in on your territory. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. they were the only people on the I shelf. Just imagine roving gangs of ice scientists. <laughs> yes. Like, if you don't have the protection of a country, you're really in danger there. Yes. <laughs> Two guys... Frank and Jason, are ragging on their super strict boss, Jack, a.k.a. Dennis Quaid. No. But as they're collecting ice core samples, the shelf cracks in, too. Jack leaps across the split like an action hero to save the samples and what must be the most unbelievable moment of this film. It actually is. Yeah. I'm, I'll, I'll believe everything else before I believe that Dennis Quaid... Ice scientist. Ice scientist uh, jumped across that crack and that it was his first instinct yes that's highly unbelievable this was a big crack this wasn't like it's just a little small crack this no, was, it was already like, like you could fall into it oh yeah it was like five six feet already yeah we didn't i i would have liked a tie-in where we saw that he was a champion high school long jumper i know some explanation would have been nice, because I did not buy this for a second. <laughs> I also, not not a lot of real suspense here, when it's Dennis Quaid, star of the movie, yeah. in ostensible peril in minute five. Yeah, because when he jumps back to where the tent is, he almost barely, yeah, he almost it. doesn't make it, and his crew, like, his guys have to pull him up. Yeah. No one believes he was gonna die I at know. this point. I The whole rest of the movie is just a flashback. I know. But I do like that he felt that we needed this action-y, suspenseful moment, like, this far up. Like, if we don't get it in now, like, no one's going to watch the rest of the movie? Or what was the thought process Currently, people are sitting here thinking this is a movie about science, Rose. (laughs) Boring, ice core, science. Yeah. Everyone's going to be walking out of this theater in two minutes. (laughs) That's what research shows. Grab them by minute seven or they're gone. If we don't do this. Yeah. After paying however much for their tickets. Definitely, you're only getting seven minutes of my time. As his men pull him up, the camera pulls out to reveal that the crack spans the entire massive ice shelf, but also just so happens to go right through the middle of the one tiny scientific camp that's on the shelf. Well, see, they didn't get in good with any of the other scientist gangs, so they got the worst spot. I guess so. (laughs) Do we ever see how they get home, by the way? This happens all the time in this movie, where it's like, this horrible thing happened, but then they were able to travel magically. Yeah. Like, immediately after that. I guess helicopters and stuff? I don't know how they got on there. Do they call people with satellite phones? I, I don't know a lot about the Antarctic. At a UN conference... Later on, Jack explains to a bunch of politicians that all the crazy weather is caused by global warming. He estimates an ice age in 100 to 1,000 years. Big span here. But Rose, how can there be an ice age caused by global warming? Science. There's a huge explanation that he gives that I didn't care about. Has to do with the Atlantic current stopping for some reason. Yeah, I don't know yeah it he explains it. it but i was bored so i mean also, i was the reason that they put in like scientists jumping over gaping ice cracks because <laughs> i know as soon as you started talking about science i'm like yeah yeah global warming i get it i mean to be fair apparently the word science does not cover what they did so it, you well, know nasa agrees with you like that's it's true it's too stupid to even think about yeah <laughs> vice president dick cheney no i'm sorry Vice President Raymond Becker (laughs) tells him that environmentalism is too expensive and he should just stop making sensational claims. But outside in New Delhi, it's snowing. (gasps) Clear hero of the movie here, concerned with dollars versus people. And I have to say at this point when he's like, well, 100 to 1,000 years from now, well this guy's concerned with the economy. Like I know he's supposed to be the villain of the movie, but I'm like, okay, but like he is doing his job. Like you need I don't know cuz he's not giving them realistic thing like, well what we need to do or these yeah. e- even if we just take these small measures. It's just like, nope. I don't care what you're talking about. I don't want to hear any of it. Economy. Yeah. We need to make severe changes. Well that's like, true. The they expensive. never they, well, they never even list one change. No, they don't. It's just this general like we need to care for the earth. Which actually may have been the least helpful part of this movie. He's trying to get this message out here. Yeah. And he's like, we have to do changes. Changes. Capital C. I don't I'm not gonna tell you what they are. Look it up. UK scientist Terry Rapson is very interested to talk to Jack, though. Ian Holm, you may know him as Bilbo. Yes. But we're not, so we cut to a research station in Scotland. Where hold some, on. <laughs> hold on. Will you skip the part where Dennis Quaid is way too impressed that an old man knows how to whistle? <laughs> he is very impressed by that. He's like, he's like oh, I'll get a taxi. And Ian Holm, hey. he's like, I've been standing here for five seconds and nothing happened. Right. This guy lives in D.C. I refuse to believe he doesn't know how to get a taxi. Right, And then Ian Holm whistles and he like double take looks at him like, well done, sir. (laughs) (laughs) So we cut to a research station in Scotland where some ocean buoys are showing a severe temperature drop, like 13 degrees. Then in Tokyo, a man lies to his wife about his after work drinking. And also (laughs) there's baseball sized tail. Yeah, well, which we never cut back to again. They just wanted to show you that it wasn't just America. And, and that's Europe. The only, and Europe, and that's the only time we see it. Yeah. Back in D.C., Jack comes home to a letter that his teenage son, Sam, a.k.a. Jake Gyllenhaal, failed calculus. He calls Sam's mother, Lucy. Seal award. Yes, brimming with indignation. But Lucy just criticizes him for being gone for months at a time and then tells him to drive Sam to the airport tomorrow so he can fly to his scholastic decathlon competition in New York. Which is kind of fair because you can't really get you, you can't act like everybody else has failed you if you this is the first you're hearing of the problem. And I have no idea. Like, honestly, at first, I thought that Jack and Lucy were married, but he was at work. Yeah, but that that's, was- I guess. They're either divorced or they've never been married. But I don't think they're actually together. They're not together. I think the implication is that they're divorced because he worked so much and was never there. But I did also think that they were married and he was just gone all the time when we first saw it. Yeah, it was like my second viewing that I was like, oh, wait a second. I think he's in a different apartment right now, but it's not like a hotel room. It's like an actual apartment where he's getting mail. Yeah. Because they don't really, it's not a focus. Their broken family isn't really a focus of the movie. It's introduced like maybe it will be but it's not yeah we cut to jack's work where jack's boss tells them off for fighting with the vice president who is in charge of giving them funding and also leaves the freezer door wide open yeah didn't a bunch of guys almost just die trying to get some of those ice samples (laughs) wouldn't that be the number one thing you learn when you work there don't leave the freezer door open in the middle of the conversation, though, Jack remembers that he forgot to pick up Sam, which really makes me question the timeline on this thing. Yeah. So, there, when he's talking to his ex-wife, it's in the morning, because we see the meeting breakfast. Then we cut to him at work, and yet, apparently, it's the next morning, because he has forgotten to pick up Sam, which is supposed to happen the next morning. Yeah. So, did he... Go to work and then go home and then go back to work and forget to pick his son up? Or what's the deal here? Not important. Or like, what time? It just makes me, because I'm like, I would believe it's the whole, I got lost in my work and forgot what time it is. But like, I went to work literally just completely forgetting that I was supposed to pick up my son and drive him to the airport, which should happen first thing. Yeah, I know. This is post nine eleven. You have to be there early. (laughs) Especially... In D.C., I bet. Well, this was three years after 9-11. Yeah. So it's, you know, like, still to be there pretty darn early... In the car, Jack asks his son about failing the test, and Sam explains that it's because he didn't show his work, like every student in the U.S. knows you're required to do once you hit middle school. Apparently, Sam can do calculus in his head and is so entitled, he feels like his teacher should believe this without question. His teacher is apparently so prickly, he'd rather fail what must be one of his best students rather than make him write down the steps to prove his math skills. This doesn't make either one of them look good. No, they're both terrible, except the teacher's worse because this kid's in high school, so you should be better than him. <laughs> but you know, nobody's just going to assume that you're doing calculus in your head. The yeah. last time I got away with not showing my work was when we were learning long division. Like, I know, right? After that, it didn't matter how dumb it was. I remember sitting there writing out geometry proofs for things that were super self-evident. But you yeah. had to do it anyway. That was the point. Yeah, exactly. Come on, Sam. Get your act together. And his his father is in total support of Sam's obnoxiousness. He's like, oh, wow, you actually said that? How do you take it? And he's like, he failed me, remember? Yeah, and he's like, I'll, I'll talk to the teacher. I'll take care of it. I'm like, no, don't do that. Tell your son to show his work. Yeah, and also tell your son that this is what, ha- and now, like father, like son. But also, this is what happens when you mouth off to the person who's in charge of your grades. Yeah. Jack apologizes for jumping to conclusions about why his son failed the test. But nothing he can do will make up for his lack of attention. So true. Meanwhile, on the International Space Station, the astronauts see a huge storm system. One of which is our old friend Proculus from Pompeii. Very nice. Then back on the plane. (laughs) We're just going to check in with the International Space Station occasionally. On the plane, we find out Sam's afraid of flying, an unnecessary and pointless character trait. But apparently the only way they could think of to get out the statistic about the unlikelihood of a plane crashing from turbulence. Which, I love everyone else pretending like this isn't an insane amount of turbulence. No, and it is. Isn't stuff's there, coming out of the overhead bins. Well, and isn't there, like, thunder that you hear? Yeah. You should never, ever be flying in a storm. The food cart loses control and almost hits the stewardess in her seat. Like, this is not like, a by normal... that time. And by that time, everyone's like, oh, this is a big deal. Uh, but, yeah, at first, I'm like, no, you should never hear thunder when you're in a plane. Sam didn't need to be afraid of flying, <laughs> though, for this to be a frightening experience. Exactly. Also, why are all the overhead bins popping open? That's a separate problem. It's a shoddily built Not plan. to do with turbulence. Yeah. The plane does stay in the air, though, so they, <laughs> yes. they will land in New York. Back in Scotland, UK scientist Rapson is back at the research station with the buoys, where more buoys are reporting temperature drops. I don't think I ever mention this again in my outline, because... It's boring and pointless, but and it doesn't matter throughout. Past that. Right throughout the movie, you d- we do continue to check in at this research station to see how things are going for them, and they don't. It's do not anything. going well. They're just they just have data to occasionally feed to Dennis Quaid, but nothing dramatic happens, yeah, and nothing- yet they probably don't survive. End of. In right. the plot, like, nothing happens to them, and they don't do anything. Right, they're probably just gonna die of cold. Done. Yeah. So, and yeah, they they weren't doing anything heroically brave about feeding the data to them. So I'm like, did you need to be there for that? Couldn't your computers have just fed data to somewhere else? Yeah. Yeah.
1: You're yes, not checking buoys
0: in the ocean. This is already being sent to you. Yeah. But one of the one of the scientists though has a young a baby, so right. and a wife who have gone somewhere else on vacation. So that's important, so that we can really sympathize with these people that we don't care about. Oh my goodness. In New York, a homeless guy complains about pollution, a bunch of birds start migrating, and Sam and his friends Brian and Laura, a.k.a. Emmy Rossum, show up <laughs> at their decathlon and do pretty darn well. They do. Uh, I love when we see them in the cab. She's like, oh, excuse me, we're really late to the driver? Like, it's his fault that there's traffic in New York. Yeah, because this is dead stop traffic. Yeah, they're at a standstill, and she's like, we're really late? And I was like, oh, okay, that's, was he supposed to do about that? Yeah. They also meet a guy named JD from a rival school who's interested in Laura, which makes Sam jealous. Drama. Especially because this is a rich guy. Yeah. Don't worry, it barely comes up again. It is not important. In an LA weather station, a couple of people are making out on a couch, which leads to this awesome exchange. Should you be monitoring the weather or something? This is LA, What weather. Wait, what's that noise? What noise? By all rights, they should immediately be attacked by an escaped mental patient with a hook for a hand. It's so true. Oh my goodness. Instead, they get attacked by hail in a tornado. Yes. In D.C., Jack gets a call from Rapson about the ocean temperature drop. Rapson says that Jack's temperature model is the only one they have that's even close to what's happening, although clearly it is very far off because he predicted 100 to 1,000 years. Yeah. That's all Jack needs to hear, though. He goes right to work where he sees footage of a tornado wiping out the Hollywood sign. There's also people in the L.A. streets taking pictures, which let me tell you, having been in L.A. when it's raining, the people there are not blasé about sudden weather shifts. (laughs) That's true. We're also told that tornadoes are merging to form giant tornadoes, which give the guys at Sci-Fi a whole slew of movie ideas. At the White House, the vice president tells the weak, uncertain president, who is a reference to no one I know, that they need to suspend all air traffic. In New York, Sam watches a news report about two planes that crashed from turbulence in the Midwest. So much for one in a billion. Burn! Oh, sick burn about a bunch of people who died. Yeah. I mean, I get, it's burn on your friend, but like, is this the best time? Yeah. Also, even you have to acknowledge that this is unusual. Even if you're scared of flying, you can't be like, well, this happens every other week. Yeah, exactly. The fact that it's on the news means it's unusual. Yeah. In a meeting of top scientists, Jack tells everyone what's what. Hold on, Jack, are you suggesting these weather anomalies are going to continue? Yes. Yeah, why would they not continue? This all of a sudden happened all over the place. Right. All over the country. Do you think it's just going to go away and never come up again? Yeah. I thought you were a scientist, man. Come on. Yeah. And like, do you know what weather is? Yeah. (laughs) And if you don't know the reason behind it, I mean, oh my gosh, how stupid are you? Anyway, very is the answer for almost everyone in this movie. Yes. But we do find out that it's not going to be an unbelievably fast six months before a new Ice Age happens. It's going to be six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say, if there's an Ice Age that happens out of nowhere in six weeks, the planet is doomed. Done. Human race dead. So this whole movie is pointless. Uh, yeah, so that's part of what I kept feeling through this movie Mm -hmm. I was like why are we still about halfway through the movie I was like why why is this movie happening why are they trying to survive why are they trying to show us this stuff because at this point it doesn't matter yeah it's just people fleeing south it's just a matter of time before they die also right so yeah and in the movie you know he was like well it'll be better in the south like they they made it seem like it was really the northern hemisphere that was going to freeze like this Mm -hmm. Um, the south is still going to be affected just not nearly as bad, it's also one of those things where this, they don't talk about this in the movie, but this isn't something where if you survive the initial crush, everyone's going to live. Oh, totally There's not, not going to be enough food. There's not going to be, like, it's going to be horrible and most people are going to die. Yeah. Even if you're not freezing to death. Yeah. So. Because you can't grow crops anymore and the animals are going to start dying because their food can... sources are gone. So what are we supposed to eat? Or if you can't go grow crops, it's not going to be very many. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very few people would be able to survive. Jack tries to tell the vice president what's going on, but he just won't listen. To be fair, though, the vice president has a point. You can't evacuate entire states in the time frame needed to avoid the deaths, which, spoiler alert, is like a day. Yeah, I know. It's ridiculous to think that you could evacuate people. Because what are you going to do? Everybody gets in the car. Now nobody's going anywhere. Right. You can't evacuate a city in a day. Yeah. That was the thing about Houston. Yeah. You, and New Orleans like 20 and all these people. places. <laughs> yeah, you have you need like a week to start getting people out of the city. In New York, Sam and his friends are staying with JD since their flight was canceled. So, of course, he takes them to the Natural History Museum, where they see a diorama of a mammoth that froze instantly. Dun-dun-dun! Meanwhile, in Scotland... As some helicopter pilots are on their way to evacuate the Queen from Balmoral Castle, (laughs) the fuel line of the helicopter freezes along with the people. (gasps) We're told that this needs to be negative 150 degrees Fahrenheit to happen. Also, I'm not sure how that data got out if everything was so frozen. All we see is yeah, all we see is them being like some like some pilots crashed, some helicopters crashed in Scotland because the fuel froze in the fuel line and everyone died and blah blah blah. And I was like, "Who's telling you this information and how did you get it if you can't even fly over the region?" Yeah. When Jack gets the news, he sees that a hurricane has formed over the island, basically over all of Europe. The land hurricane. Oh, what? Hurricanes don't form over land. They keep saying. <laughs> <laughs> also, Dr. Lucy, Sam's mom. I'm just going to tell you right now what her subplot is because it's sporadically. It's the, sporadically, lame. it's, it's, it's really the lamest lame. thing I've ever and seen. And it's sporadically like over this movie, but it. It's not important to anything else. You could have taken it from the movie and nothing would have changed. So I'll just tell you. Dr. Lucy, Sam's mom, is taking care of children with cancer at the hospital. Because, of course, she is. (laughs) She stays with them throughout the disaster, including staying behind with one last patient who doesn't have an ambulance. Although, later on, just when all hope is lost, some nice ambulance people show up hearing that there's one child left. (laughs) So they still make it to safety. Anyway. Back in New York... The city is flooding and Sam and his friends try to walk to the train station. Also, wolves have escaped from the zoo. The some of the fakest wolves I've ever seen. If They're you can't not, manage real him. wolves, don't have them. Yeah. The homeless guy from before tries to go to the library for shelter, but they kick him out because of the dog. Also, for some reason, we see a weird shady guy bribing an out-of-service bus to give him and a couple of other guys a ride. Oh, that was so stupid. It never comes up again, and it wasn't important, and yet they spent a lot of time on it. I know. It was weird. A cop is struggling with trying to rescue a mother and a son from a taxi who only speak French, and apparently he can't use hand gestures to communicate with uh, them. Oh, oh my goodness. He's standing out. They're clearly trapped in a car. They're clearly trapped in the car. Yeah. And the cop is standing outside the window, and he's like, I don't understand you. What are you saying? Well, he I don't does, understand. Well, he does. If you listen closely, he is saying things like, I'm going to get you out, ma'am. But he's not doing anything. Yeah. He's, he's like, well, the just door's like stuck. stuck. I don't know what oh, to do. Have you guys tried this door? <laughs> it's stuck. No. And... So apparently what he actually needs is to communicate that they need to cover, they need to back up and cover their faces so he can break a window. I really feel like this could have been communicated through sign language. Oh, for sure it could have. But apparently Laura, Sam's friend, does not feel the same way because she goes back to translate for them, but not before cutting her leg on a piece of glass, metal, something sticking out of a car. Something on a car, I think. And it it drives me a little bit crazy, because things like the bus and other cars, they're still driving around in this water. It's like three feet high at this point. Right. You can't drive in that much water. You really shouldn't even be walking in that much water. This is how people drown in floods. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, well, it's not super high. Well, it's rushing like crazy. Yeah. Then the mother and son realize they've forgotten their passports in the taxi, so Laura goes back for them, and Sam has to gallantly rescue her from a tidal wave, which is coming their way. They hole up with a bunch of other people, including the homeless guy and his dog, on the upper floor of the now-flooded library. The first thing we see is this girl talking on her cell phone. Like, the cell towers are unaffected. Yeah. Literally everything else has been affected. Yeah. But not the cell towers. But then, a second after that... They're like, well, there's no cell phone reception, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, are there pay phones? Because pay phones are, a lot of them draw their, you know, there's no electricity, but. They draw their power from the phone lines. From the phone lines? Why would you assume the f- telephone lines are still working? Well, they are, so he was right. Good oh job. Goodness. Yeah, so he has to, there's none on the second floor though, so he has to go downstairs in the mostly flooded lower floor to use the phone, uh, and he's like swimming around in this freezing water the whole time. So he calls his dad, and Jack tells him to stay inside and stay warm, because it's about to get seriously cold. Uh, this is kind of where I I wish that Samuel L. Jackson was the weather scientist, because <laughs> we could have had a lot of good lines out of this. We you think out. it's cold now? Buckle up. Yeah. <laughs> He promises to come for him, but the floodwaters rise above the payphone before Sam can confirm this. Laura helps Sam warm up with her own body heat, which blows his teenage mind. But yeah, which is, is actually really tame. Uh, yeah, and this is after... She doesn't even take off her sweater. No, and this is after his his would-be rival was like, Sam, just tell <laughs> me how you feel. This was so dumb. When, when I she like, walks away, this guy who's known you guys this. for 10 minutes can tell what's going on here. Laura's And initially there. had a crush on Laura, so it's kind of dumb that he's like, just tell her how you feel, Sam. Also, this is not the only flirting storyline that we see in this movie two of the scientist, one of the scientists is flirting a lot also i just don't understand how you can be in the middle of this and still be worried about flirting right i understand telling someone you love them because like you think you're all gonna die and you just want this person to know but like but like real flirting but also I don't see that of, happening. Like, encouraging this person that you barely know to tell some girl how you feel like is this really your number one priority right now yeah, i mean kind of yeah Seems like it. Yeah. (laughs) It was weird. And it really made the whole like previous jealousy super pointless. There's a lot of stuff that just kind of goes away super quickly. And what's actually kind of a a realistic way, but which is weird for a movie. So, that's part of what it is. They wanted it to be like, well, it's also a human story, though. But, like, no, it was really a weather story, and that's what you focused most on. Yeah, so the fact that his parents are divorced and his father isn't around that much, like, it was too realistic to be interesting, just in the sense that, like, yeah, his father isn't around that much, he's a little resentful of that, but, like, the divorced parents get along perfectly fine. Yeah. He does still see his father occasionally, his father's a responsible adult. I mean, I don't, like... Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't, like, interesting or saying anything new. Nope. So when Sam asks Laura how she knows how to treat hypothermia, she says, some of us were actually paying attention in health class. I think a health class that covers acute hypothermia would also cover the importance of cleaning open wounds. So don't be so smug, Laura. That's so bizarre. She's like, first of all, your health class went over hypothermia, like the practical way of treating it. Well, because this is also like, I feel like I knew in high school, I learned at some point how to treat hypothermia in the sense that like, it's body heats best. And like, really, you need to be naked, Laura. We learned this. (laughs) But this thing of like, if the blood from your extremities rush too soon to your heart, it will stop. And I'm like, I didn't learn that. Yeah, that's. It's pretty specific. I just learned that you needed to warm up. Yeah, but slowly, preferably with some sexy body heat. <laughs> Is that what that movie was about? Yeah, body heat. It was. I hermia. Hermia. <laughs> Later in the library, everyone bundles up with just blankets and warm clothes that are stashed on the upper levels of the library. I guess. Yeah. As the dog starts to bark, apparently the water's now deep enough for a big ship to float outside on the street. Yeah, this is like a real, and I find it very hard to believe that there's enough space in the streets in New York City for this to happen. I guess it's also supposed to be like the upper floors, so maybe there's a little bit more space. But it was, I feel like the boat was probably a lot smaller than... But then the boat stops. Oh, true. It's it's touching the bottom at a certain point. Yeah, this movie is a real proponent of like, listen to the animals. They know when things are bad because yep, in the is, wolf yeah. enclosure previously we've seen like all the animals are going crazy and what's going on with the animals yeah jack prepares to go find sam but his boss forces him to brief the president before he leaves his advice is to head as far south as possible preferably mexico but the vice president is not amused maybe you should stick to science and leave policy to us Well, we tried that approach. You didn't want to hear about the science when it could have made a difference. There was like a 12-hour time span between the time that he wasn't listening and what what could You need you... to make it clear that you've been trying to tell him this, apparently, for the last 20 years. Right. Which is how long he's been in office, I guess. Like, <laughs> he could have done nothing from the time that Dennis Quaid told him an ice age is coming to now. Yeah. Nothing he could have done would have made a difference. No, and this is not the only time we hear this line. It's all about, like, you didn't listen when there was time to do anything. And it's like, well, was he supposed to fix it in two days? Even if he had done something at the very beginning of his term... As vice president, he still wouldn't have been able to make a difference. Yeah, I know. (laughs) The president asks specifically what to do, which Jack's already said, but whatever. Let's say it again. Jack tells him to evacuate everyone in the lower two thirds of the U.S. The upper third just has to ride it out and try and survive. They're basically lost. The vice president thinks this is pretty easy to say when he's safely in D.C., Really, D.C. is not that far south. I would south. not call it south. Mason-Dixon line really isn't the yeah, like, like dividing. I'm line. like, I think they're on like the lo- the bottom, like the border of the line he drew probably includes D.C. But I would not say that was far south enough to be safe. Nope. But Jack's boss. Tells the vice president that Jack's son is stuck in New York, and that shuts him up pretty quickly. Jack loads up his truck with Arctic exploring gear, and his co-workers, Frank and Jason, decide to tag along. Because friendship? His, I guess, man. Uh, yeah, his justification is, I've walked farther than that in the snow. Yeah, Jack. It's, it's like, fine. I, currently, the water is the problem. I guess if it's this cold, it's going to freeze soon. But and we'll see that it on. does yeah. freeze. But J- Frank and Jason deciding to go along is baffling to me. Agreed. I guess they don't have families. I guess not. Or, you know, need to stay behind to be scientific counsels. Yeah. Or or don't have, like, a reason to it. live. Yeah. <laughs> also, we see news reports on the irony of a bunch of Americans illegally crossing into Mexico. This is just one of those... It's. it's this is kind of like the ship going by in the streets. It's just right. one of those, oh, look at how crazy things can change. Exactly. Like, it's also one of those things... Where you're like, why are we trying to evacuate people at all? Because it's snowing at the border. I know they're like, so oh, this snowing much that has changed. Far south? Yeah, it was because it was snowing in New Delhi and it's snowing in Mexico and it's yeah. So it's I don't so know. then then you're like, what? How is anybody gonna survive? Well, and the funny thing is, they're like, we need to get them to the warmest parts of the U.S. Southern Texas, maybe like the the Panhandle of Florida. And I'm like, okay, but what about, like, the deserts in Arizona New Mexico? Like, are those also, like, there's a huge part of the lower U.S. That's, I no, I, I don't get it. But we need to be in well, Mexico. Well, you're that's not a climatologist, thing. Rose. I'm not. I never said. Jack is officially, his, his job title is paleoclimatologist. So yep. that's fun. <laughs> it's fun to say. Also, I'm like, I don't even know how you get a job in that. But apparently you do. You I did. think there aren't a lot of them. <laughs> We can have we, our country can support one paleo climatologist and two of his friends. Yeah, exactly. In New York, the homeless guy spots a bunch of people leaving the city on foot because now all the water has turned to snow. The policeman that's in the library decides that they should all evacuate, ignoring Sam when he tells them it's too dangerous. To be fair, he should have told them what his dad said when he first heard it from his dad. He probably should have. Well, yeah, because his dad is also like, build a fire and keep it going, and they yeah, don't burn do everything you can. To and stay warm. And he goes upstairs and he doesn't make any effort to start a fire. No, and he doesn't tell anybody, like, hey, my dad's actually pretty on top of this and this is what he said. Yeah. And also uh, what's funny, I think, is before he tells everyone like no, we can't leave. The storm will be too cold. We'll never make it. He's sitting there with his friends listening to the cop and his friend in Laura's, like, but your dad said we shouldn't leave. And he's like, yeah, I know. And Laura's like, you should, <laughs> you tell, should them tell them that they're all gonna go freeze to death. And he's like, yeah, I guess I should. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Like, come on, man. Why did we need to have a conversation where we were reminded what your father just told you? We didn't what happens when you give a teenage boy the most useful information. I just thought it was like the audience has surely forgotten by now what you said. <laughs> Obviously it's, you know, one of those things where he, the cop just wants to take action and so they decide they're going to leave the city. But I am like, you know, you know how far you're going to have to walk and you don't have snowshoes and you really don't have the proper, like, outdoor <laughs> gear and yeah. you have no rash. Because he's like, we can't stay here. We have no food. We have no whatever. And I'm like, well, you are not going to have any out there either. How long yeah. I you know, when you think you're going you to have to walk, yeah, you're gonna now you're spending a, a lot more energy. Yeah, exactly. Trying to keep yourself warm. Yeah, and walking in the snow without yeah, snowshoes. Yeah, that's what really gets me. It makes me think that these people have never been in, like, real wilderness where the snow isn't packed. You will fall right through, friend. Yeah. Anyway, everyone but a small handful of people leave. Sam starts building a fire from the books, which the librarian is shocked by. And an older man, who stays behind also, spends a lot of time talking about which books are too important to burn. Like, they're the only copies of them left in the world. I know. He's like, you can't burn Nietzsche. He's the most important thinker of the 19th century, which I don't think anyone's ever said about Nietzsche. No. The homeless guy gives out helpful advice about looking for food in the trash and stuffing jackets with paper to stay warm. Also, one of Sam's friends gets the radio to work long enough to hear that Europe is buried under 15 feet of snow and doubts Jack will make it to them. But Sam believes. My father said he promised. And his father He's never keeps his, broken his promise to me ever. Yeah. That's why we have a good relationship. Yeah. Jack drives as far as Philadelphia when they're forced to walk the rest of the way because of the snow. At one point, Frank falls through a skylight, and all of them, because they're bound together by rope, are dragged down. They try to save him, which involves Jason taking off his gloves. But Frank realizes Unclear it's futile lie. and cuts the rope, dropping his death. The people who left the library to, you know, walk out of New York keep going after taking a rest break around a trash can fire. Where? Where? <laughs> where did they get the trash can? New York is under, like, 15 feet of water, and now it's snowing on top. Where was this trash can? That's hilarious, because you're right. They're also, like, under an overpass. Yeah. What? (laughs) Was this a 25-foot overpass? Uh, Yeah, because the entire entire lower floor of this library, which had huge ceilings, (laughs) is Mm -hmm. under snow. Which, actually, it's kind of funny. When they show the library, they only show the lamps and not the iconic lions, because they didn't want to pay to... Film the Lions. No, oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> the, yeah, because I'm also like, how did they start the fire? What were they burning? Uh, Why did they stop for just to stop around this measly little trash can fire that could not have warmed all the people that were there? It was baffling. It was a baffling scene. But really, it was just so that we could see that when the cop is telling everyone they need to start moving again, there's two people who look like they're taking a nap in the snow, but the cop realizes they're actually dead. After take he, their pulse moron after he mildly shakes them yeah. and says quietly it's time to go he's <laughs> yeah. like oh they're dead leaving I, yeah he just <laughs> leaves and i'm like take their pulse i know or try harder shake them harder yeah you yell think, at them slap them around a bit like yeah because also i'm like it could just be that they're slowly dying from cold like they could still be alive yeah i know Which, my question, why were they lying down to take a nap at all? Like, who who saw that and thought it was fine? I know. Lie down in the snow. It's fine. Yeah, just take a rest in the cold. Close your eyes. That's never been bad. Yeah. Guys, you need to read more Jack London. Back in the library, the insufferable older guy holds a copy of the Gutenberg Bible to protect it and gives this huge long speech about the importance of the printed word. This Bible is the first book ever printed. It represents the dawn of the age of reason. As far as I'm concerned, the written word is mankind's greatest achievement. You can laugh. But if Western civilization is finished, I'm going to save at least one little piece of it. So does he think that Plato was before the age of reason? Yes. Aristotle. Solidly. Not based on reason. There were no thinkers at all. The Odyssey we should just scrap before the Age of Reason. This is why Nietzsche was so important. There was no thinkers before him. The monks handwriting stuff out. (laughs) Nope. It's only once the press was invented. Age of Reason done. Yeah, what a weird... For somebody who's so learned, allegedly, what a weird way for him to use the Age of Reason. I know. I'm like, do you mean the Age of, like organized and printed reason that could be handed out at will to people because reason existed even in our own understanding of it long before the printing press did (laughs) yeah exactly oh my gosh and yet my least favorite part of that exchange was the girl who's making fun of him they're like foils for each other and it was boring yeah but she's like oh you think god's gonna save you and he's like no i don't believe in god she's like you're holding on that bible pretty tight and i was like you can't make fun of someone for believing in god and then like make fun of them for not believing in god (laughs) right after the other yeah no kidding but basically, he's just a proponent of it doesn't matter how many humans die as long as these artifacts of human intelligence exist, right. they remain. Which, to be fair, in that case, the Gutenberg Bible is actually super unimportant as long as a copy of the Bible remains. Yeah, the yeah. Gutenberg Bible is just one copy, one translation of a Bible. Bibles are freaking everywhere. If human civilization dies out and some alien race comes by to check it out, like they're gonna find Bibles. That's not gonna be a problem. <laughs> exactly. Just because they didn't find the Gutenberg Bible, they, they're just acting like this is the the library in Alexandria that was burned and all this information was this lost. This will keep humanity going, just knowing that there's a Gutenberg Bible. <laughs> no. In another part of the library, Sam and Laura talk about their favorite vacation, and Sam tells a story that shows us what a terrible father Jack really is. It was a really sad story. Yeah, was, but his favorite vacation was some terrible vacation where it snowed the whole time, and they had to just hang out for 10 days. Yeah. But it was great, because he got to hang out with his father. Yeah, am like, oh my yeah, gosh, your your life is that, sad and pathetic. to the point that he enjoyed being stuck on a ship for 10 days. Yeah. I weep for you, son. You have had a sad life. <laughs> Laura's also having a hard time with all the change that's happening. My mind keeps going over all those worthless decathlon facts. Mm. This is pretty stupid, huh? No, it's alright. I guess you just haven't had time to adjust yet. No one can adjust this fast. (laughs) You say that like you have. or Like, like, oh, just wait a few days. You'll be fine. I mean, we never mention where her parents are. Right Nobody ever talks about their families. Well, the most that they get mentioned is when Sam calls his father from the payphone, he's like, let Brian and Laura's parents know that we're all safe. But we never see that phone call happen. No. And even if they were told I'm sure they, they don't know that their parents are safe. Yeah, exactly. Oh, they're safe in DC. Yeah. Sunny DC. Yeah. Which we see later that the president stays too long and then he dies there because it's not safe. I refuse to believe that a president with a huge like disaster like storm disaster happening that nearby wouldn't immediately be evacuated south. The Uh, safest part of the country. Yeah, it's really unrealistic. Yeah. That the vice president left before him. Sam finally admits he like likes Laura. And they kiss. Uh, but it's an ill fated romance as she's struck down by blood poisoning, helpfully diagnosed by books. Yeah, that was weird to me that she's like, books are, the librarian is like, books are good for something other than burning. burning. And then she's like, oh, I'll look in this book. And she immediately, yeah. she's like, She like uh, WebMDs are, it. It's so fast. What are her symptoms? A uh, wound? Oh, blood poisoning immediately. <laughs> it was, it's more, more than that. that. She's like, okay, so she's got a fever and a cold sweat. Has she been wounded recently? Any sort of <laughs> cuts, maybe? Oh, yes? Oh, well, then it's blood poisoning. Done. I know. She needs antibiotics or she'll die immediately. Yeah, what are doctors always complaining about? Oh, it's hard to study to be a doctor. I have to learn so much. Get this book. <laughs> You'll be fine. You'll <laughs> find it instantly. Yeah. So also sometime around now is when the president dies off screen in the storm. The motorcade yeah. gets caught in the storm, so the vice president's now in charge. And the astronauts check in to let us know that another storm's going to hit New York in an hour. So, back in New York. And in an attempt to save Laura, Sam decides to go looking for antibiotics, and his friends, Brian and J D go. Because friendship? What's with all these people just tagging along for dangerous missions? I'm bored. I guess so. Everyone's a hero. They bust into the outside ship and find medication and food. But then, in an unnecessary and unexpected plot twist, they're attacked by the wolves that escape from the zoo. It was so stupid. (laughs) I don't even know how this happened. Like... So, for one thing, we're already shown that the storm is going through. And the, the number that I have previously been given in this movie for how cold it gets in the storm, it's negative, negative 150. 150 degrees. So, it doesn't matter if this particular storm hasn't gotten that cold. That's my frame of reference. Yeah. Those wolves, even Arctic wolves, would not survive in negative 150 degree temperatures. They, no. I looked it up. The places they live tend to get to around negative 70 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's kind of like you don't need to introduce another element of danger. We already have a very yes. dangerous timeline. We've got clock ticking. We already have it. What are you doing? Right. There's another storm coming. Also, the storm that's happening is super dangerous. Somebody's dying if they don't get antibiotics. Yes. There's all sorts of dangerous stuff that can happen already. We've already seen some guy fall through a skylight. Yeah, I know. You could have just had one of them get hurt on the ship. But I love to imagine that the script is done and he's like, I don't know, it needs something. (laughs) Yeah. And everyone else is like, no, dude, what? Wolves in New York? He's like, yeah, Yeah. no, put some wolves in. Yeah, we'll escape from the zoo. We'll be fine. Yeah. I would have liked to see the subplot of the wolves and how they survived everything that happened and then got to the ship. Especially because they had a concerted jailbreak. Yes. That's the only reason they're out is because the zookeepers are walking around and they're like, well, the wolves escaped. Yeah. (laughs) None (laughs) of the other animals did. Nope. The wolves escaped. Somehow managed to find high ground and were sheltered enough during the first storm that they did not freeze to death. Yeah, that dummy of a bear just sat there. (laughs) Yeah. So this is right when the eye of the storm is over them. So Sam lures the wolves away from his friends and somehow traps them in a way, like in a hallway, in a way that they can't get to his friends because the door is shut and they're on the other side of it, but yet is different than all of them just going out the other door the first time. Yeah. I'm super confused about the logic of this plan and how it worked. It's so dumb that it was really hard to get them into this situation at all. So yeah. don't think about it too much. But we're also done, and this the wolves are never going to come back, and JD, who's wounded, that's never an issue either. So... Nope. Super glad it happened. It was just we needed to fill five minutes. <laughs> yeah, in a two-hour movie. Yeah. running a little bit short. Yeah. Our effects budget wasn't being used enough, so. <laughs> yeah. We had to CGI some wolves in. They bring the supplies and JD, who's, you know, wounded, so they're dragging him along. Stupid JD. <laughs> what an idiot. Yeah, I know. Back That's to rich. the library. Just barely outrunning the temperature, which is so cold that it freezes a blowing flag yeah. in place. Is there moisture in the flag? Is the flag wet and yet not iced over? I guess. I would love to know how the flag froze in place. As would I. (laughs) Well, yeah. So this is the point where I just wrote, What am I watching? (laughs) that was probably i unfortunately had to keep doing the outline but i think what am i watching is a good summary for the last 20 minutes because you, you're watching people run away from the embodiment of cold and ice yes right so thankfully it physically we know, yes. them down hallways <laughs> yes this is, this is the beauty of this scene, is uh, we know that they're outrunning the temperature just barely, because we can see the temperature chasing after them on the icy hallways. Yes! And we've already seen in another building, as the ice goes down... Yes. Th- so the ice is traveling different directions, <laughs> can I point out. On tall buildings, we see it go down the building, <laughs> but then it's going through the hallways. Like, it's traveling. <laughs> And on the other buildings, it breaks every single window on the way down. (laughs) Which tells me that these people are going to die no matter what if all the windows are breaking. So we see them out running the temperature, but we cut away before we can see if they succeed in keeping the fire alive. Jack is also in the storm. He's close enough that he's also caught in the storm. He takes shelter in a much less dramatic way. The next morning, he's ready to hit the road again. His friend continues to walk around without gloves on and with most of his face exposed. I know. Even as we see a bunch of people frozen to death in the snow below them. Including including the cop from earlier. Oh, heartstrings. One more time. Yep. His friend wonders what will happen to the human race now. But Jack thinks we'll make it as long as we learn from our mistakes. I sure as hell'd like a chance to learn from mine. You did everything you could. I was thinking about Sam. I have a couple things to say about this. For one thing, <laughs> your mistakes with Sam in no way affected the global temperature. Yeah. I just thought I'd let you know that, Mr. Paleoclimatologist. <laughs> as long as we'll survive, as long as we can learn to be good fathers. Right. Also, we have no way of learning from our mistakes because the human race is doomed within a month. I give us a month <laughs> in this movie. So, there's no chance of learning from our mistakes. This is done. It's also something where, you know, they talk about learning from our mistakes. I don't think you have to worry a lot about people producing a bunch of global warming at this point. With, like, the entire northern hemisphere not working anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Although, ironically, now, like, where most of these greenhouse gases and stuff are coming from is the third world countries. Because they're industrializing in a way that the U.S. and, like, Europe isn't as much anymore yeah no that's true so maybe we do yeah maybe we do <laughs> in space they let us know that the storm is starting to clear they can finally see landmasses in europe for the first time in days which i don't know why that affects the storm in new york but apparently it does this is like the next day jack gets out of his tent and is crawling through the snow with his hands exposed jacket unzipped <laughs> and nothing on his head at all smart that's yes. an, an antarctic explorer everyone <laughs> yes Someone well-versed in cold. Oh, yeah. He sees a frozen and half-buried Statue of Liberty. Drama! Although, to be fair, I really feel like he would have seen that earlier, like when he set up the tent. Because even though the storm supposedly hadn't cleared yet, they were walking around in it the day before. Yeah, exactly. He would have seen the Statue of Liberty. It was huge. They walk until they're at the library, which is almost completely covered with snow now. The structural integrity of this building must be amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A testament to New York. (laughs) Yeah. It's an old-fashioned building. Yeah. They go inside the upper window, which is broken and how they've been getting in and out, and walk through the snowy rooms, but one of the rooms has a red light coming from it. Lo and behold, when he goes inside, the fire is still burning, and his son gives him a hug, and everyone just kind of, like, watches in heartwarming... Happiness. Yeah, exactly. Uh, By the way, when they are trying to find the library and he's like, oh, it should be right here. In order to go find it better, he unclips from his snowshoes. (laughs) I don't for no reason. I feel like the director was like, we need a beat right there. What's going to happen? Unclip from your snowshoes. (laughs) I'll make it easier. Yeah. Also, like when he said it should be right here, I thought what he meant was we're literally standing on top of it. It's completely covered in snow. I thought that you're going to have to dig him out. And then he just walks over a little bit. <laughs> he's like, oh, there it is. <laughs> he's like, oh, we can actually get inside it. Fine. Yeah. In the American embassy in Mexico, which is crowded with people, which I think is hilarious. It's like they made all of the American refugees that came into the country, like go onto the embassy grounds. I know. Which is ridiculous. The vice president, now the president, (laughs) is told that there are survivors in New York. He sends people to rescue them and then gives a speech about how we need to respect our planet. And just, I don't see anybody ever making this speech, especially not in politics, when he's like, I was wrong. And you know, we should listen and our planet and we thought we could do this forever and we were wrong and I'm sorry. (laughs) Like I don't think anybody's gonna make that speech. Well, maybe he would because realistically there's no more US anymore. And like the American government has collapsed. America has collapsed. Who's gonna vote me out, Jerks? Right. (laughs) There's not even really a role anymore here. So yeah, exactly. We also see Doctor Lucy hanging out with her cancer patient in a field hospital, which should be a hundred times bigger and busier than it is. <laughs> There's like, maybe ten people in there. It's super empty and pretty small. Well, they only saved small children with cancer, so... Like, if they are saving cancer patient, like, children with cancer, and putting them in field hospitals, like, this should be massively crowded because yeah. if this is every hospital that got evacuated, there's no way that this is what's left. And they show this kid like this is a happy ending, and I'm like, this kid's 100% dying. Like, well, yeah, he's not, been going through radiation treatment. Well, and they're not going to be able to right treat cancer now with him. Like, they can't keep doing it. Yeah, and don't show this like it's a heartwarming ending. It's not. Yeah, you delayed the inevitable. System. Yeah, it's yeah. not going to be able to take all this. Yeah, change and yeah, not a happy ending. I, that's the case for literally everybody. You're like, this isn't a happy ending. Totally. This is like the sequel to this is actually the movie, the road. Like that's (laughs) the sequel to this. (laughs) From space. The astronauts say they've never seen the air so clear. And we look down at a half frozen earth that the Wikipedia page describes as pollution free, which can't possibly be true. I know. Do people realize there's types other than air pollution? No. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then having taught us all a valuable lesson. The movie drops the mic and rolls the credits. (laughs) And my life has changed forever. I now know who Roland Emmerich is and have a very negative opinion. (laughs) Yeah. So this was, I feel, this movie was pretty popular and it didn't actually receive like atrocious reviews. Like, which is weird to me. Well, I think a lot of people were like, this is a dumb movie, but mildly entertaining. And then like science was torn on it. Scientists were like, well, I mean, it's good that people are talking about global warming, but, like... <laughs> this is so dumb. It's very possible that this is going to make people not treat global warming seriously. So, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. we're torn. <laughs> because not only did they not tell you anything that you should actually do, they also made it look like at any point it could be so bad that you can't ever come back from it. Right. And so then it's like, well, why should we do anything if that's just going to happen? Right. So it's too negative things that you're actually telling people. Right. And yeah, and I'm like, you know, the Earth's environment can't shift that fast. It just can't. No, no. Like we would know about it going up (laughs) to it that this was going to happen. It's not just like because they've been taking sensor readings and stuff, and nobody's been like, "Yeah, there's been all these crazy readings for the past several months." It's Like, <laughs> nope, it happened now, and a day later, the Earth has collapsed. Like, maybe done. this is also a Christmas movie, and Krampus is just coming for all of us this time. Oh, could be. We've all lost our Christmas spirit too much. So global <laughs> warming. Yep. Yeah, I hated this movie. <laughs> it was terrible, and it was such a bummer, and I just hated it. And you didn't care about any of the characters. No. In it? No. Which I, I didn't guess was a plus, like because you know that they're all going to die very soon anyway. And mo- right. a lot of them, you know, some of them die in the movie. And the whole time people were running around and doing stuff and dying and wanting their fathers to come rescue them and all this stuff. And I'm just like, yep, stuff's uh-huh. happening. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just like, watching it, was, like, it on screen. None of it matters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it was really like it's such a message movie and it was so obvious that it was a message movie that they didn't take any time to like really develop the characters in a way that made you care about them. Yeah, so, you know. exactly. Uh, how did it do? It did really well. So this movie's budget was 125 million and it made 544 million. Wow. Yeah, so it was a big hit. Nice. And at the time, like I think for the time the effects were really good too, so. Oh, I think so. So next up, we're going to do the next Twilight movie, which is Eclipse. Mm. Twilight 3. I can't wait. I'm sure it's better than all the rest. Is that the trend that it keeps getting better? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) In the books and the movies, (laughs) they keep getting better. Well, something to look forward to, then. (laughs) So that's what's next on More Is More. For more of our podcast, go to moreismorepodcast.com. To contact us, write us at moreismorepodcast at gmail.com.